BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thanks for tuning in to Boner Planet Podcast. Watch the full video exclusively on Carbon TV. This show is brought to you by Tinks. Scent Crusher, Camp Chef, and Cat Work Truck, Victory Archery and Thorn Broadheads, Cobra Archery and Shadow Hunter Blinds, Burris Optics and Reveal Cellular Trail Cams, HHA and HHA USA. Additional support by Under Armour and Deer Cam Coffee. Hey guys, welcome to the Boner Planet Podcast. Myself, Dave Thomas, tonight, along with Kevin Conlon here in the studio, which is exciting to be back a little bit here. You know, just even if it's just yeah. two of us, it's kind of fun. Yeah, nice to be back in the. Uh, <laughs> it's a nice the, feeling. Yeah, you get that woodsy feel. You got all the you know the brands around. It's just kind of exciting again. Uh, and work on the classic series has been fun because we've been having all these older bows kind of come in, and you know, we just got one in today, Dart and Viper. Very exciting, first bow I ever killed a deer with. So that was exciting to get that in kind of play with it a little bit um tim's here tonight tim how are you doing i'm doing good man it's uh good old wednesday recording night so i'm excited got some good guests lined up for us tonight one of them on the call right now so yes uh, before i introduce mr john stallone i just want to say tim you look so interesting without your hat on it's like you're an old man or something i don't uh... yeah i know i got i got the got the new cut <laughs> yesterday you can uh i got to cut short for the summertime so it's like it's painted on yeah it looks you like know? you spray painted it at least i got at least i got it you know <laughs> <laughs> i could get, i could get that with some black spray yeah. paint how about to do that to mine see yeah. if you guys notice <laughs> well, john how's it going man how you been uh excellent excellent thank you and thank you for having me on yes thank you for joining us uh you know we i've talked to you we talked a couple times on instagram throughout the years Mm -hmm. um and i wanted to give you a chance to chat you know i I know we talked about uh kind of can talk about anything tonight but i I wanted to give you let's first start off by just kind of letting you talk about the things you're working on uh the projects you're a part of and kind of tell us about that i guess real quick Sure. It might be easier for me to tell you things that I'm not involved in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, uh, you know, right now, my main focus has been with a uh, conservation and wildlife. 
I'm going to say it's a hunter and angler advocacy group is probably the better way to, um, to describe us. And that's Howlful Wildlife. Um, it is something that uh, Charles Whitwam and I, myself um, started um, as a grassroots effort. Let's see. It was January of 21, like around that time, uh, there was a proposed bear ban, uh, like bear hunting ban in California. And we started, you know, like using like a change.org petition and we got like 25,000 signatures and $18,000 money donated, which obviously doesn't go to us, goes to change.org, but people don't know that. And um, yeah, we were like, wow, there's something to this. We need to, we need to start a change.org for hunters and anglers because we're losing hunting uh, everywhere. Like every day, they're just chiseling away, chipping away at our rights uh, to hunt and, and fish. So we uh, fast forward a year later, we created Howlful Wildlife, which is an advocacy platform. It basically created the easy button for hunters and anglers to get involved on legislative uh, legislative issues and anything really that is directly affects wildlife uh, management and uh, hunting and fishing rights. So, you know, whether it's at the commission level or in the ballot box or so we get involved in, in all that stuff and, and also like pro hunting stuff. Uh, we, we were involved in a few bills that were proposed, like for adding Sunday hunting in, um, I believe it was uh, Georgia and Pennsylvania this year. We got involved in both of those and um, pretty much everything that we've gotten involved in since we, since we launched in January, we've either, I think there was one or maybe two bills that we didn't win. And actually one of us, we were asked to step away because the guys on the ground said they had it. Well, we stepped away and they didn't have it. They lost. Um, but we, we either progressed or won every single bill that we got involved. So what we're trying to do right now is, is really just involve as many sportsmen as possible and to unify our voice and, uh, we're doing that through the platform and, and a lot of the things that we got going on. That's excellent. I, it's so funny that you could bring up conservation because Tim and I were just talking about this. Um, uh, we were, I was walking the other day, I was power walking and I, I always called Tim with ideas when I'm power walking. So I had called him and we were talking and we were talking about the ATA and we said, why doesn't ATA, you know, get more involved in, you know, I know they do some conservation stuff and, and other things, but you know, why aren't they like more fo eye focused on these things, you know, because God knows if we're going to see another ATA or not, no one knows yet. They say they are, but we'll see. And, you know, so but my question is to you, are, are organizations like that helping you guys at all? Or, or um, is there anything they're doing that would help what you guys are trying to do? Um, unfortunately, not really. We're not, we're not getting a lot of support from the, from the legacy orgs, um, we are getting some from the boots on the ground. We're making a lot of partnership uh, with those small like in-state organizations that are directly connected to the issues that we are 
um, you know, we're focusing on, um, which is great because we need that. They, there are a lot of those guys are the, are the people that are helping provide us with the content, with the, um, with the understanding of what's going on. Because a lot of times you get these bills and, the, I mean, you need a secret decoder pen to go through them and, and figure out what they're really about. Like, for instance, this one in, there's one in, U, in New York right now, which is where I'm from originally. I live in Arizona, been living here since 91, but I'm originally from New York and I go back to hunt whitetail in New York every year on Long Island. So in Suffolk County, there's two bills. One would prohibit um, a bow hunter from discharging any archery equipment within 500 feet of a posted, um, this new posted ordinance sign that you can post. If it passes. So and anybody can post it. Well, any landowner can post it. Yeah. yeah. So basically if you're a guy that owns a two acre lot and, it, and, and the rule is 150 feet right now. So 150 feet, which is what is set by the DEC um, in Arizona, excuse me, in New York, it would become 500 feet. So if, let's say you have a two acre lot and you have a tree stand set up in your backyard and it's connected to, you know, one of the, um, so a lot of Long Island is set up this way, like where you have your lot and then behind your lot is like, is open area that is public land. So you can sit a tree stand in your lot and then, but now you got to be 500 feet away. So if this guy to your left posts and this guy to your right posts and the guy behind, you know, you just, you know, put yeah. your, you just constricted your, your, uh, your effective area to almost nothing. You know, if you got that small of a piece of land and it's not like you, you have these big like ranchettes or anything out on Long Island, you have, there's people that do have some acreage, but, uh, or, and then there's people who have farms. There's a lot of farmland ag agriculture out there, which is somewhat diminishing since I was been a kid, since I've been a kid out there. But, um, yeah, so they're taking away rights like that. And, and the one that we just posted on Halfa wildlife was, um, you are not allowed to hunt any public lands adjacent to a licensed um, rehab facility, animal rehab facility. And so people are like, oh, okay, well, that's not that big of a deal, right? But that means that PETA or HUSIS can go and open up a rehab facility next to any giant piece of land. I, love, I always love the loopholes. Shut, <laughs> shut that whole thing down. So it, they're very, they're very backhanded, very like, you know, they're, they're, they're citing public safety and so on and so forth, but there hasn't been a, there hasn't been an incident on Long Island where even hunter on hunter, there hasn't been an incident, but a hunter shooting a non-hunter with archer equipment. Right. Ever. I mean, at least as far back as I went and researched. Is New York, uh, allow crossbow hunting uh just if you have a uh, disability yes only for disability so the crossbow they're trying to make that an even bigger range where you have to be further away then they call it a longbow even though compound's not a longbow but they're they in the in the verbiage it says longbows and crossbows and do you know like who is behind this legislation well there's they're sponsored by one is sponsored which, which threw me for a loop because I, I mean 
let's just face it. I don't like to make this stuff political, but for the most part, most of these things come from uh, the Democratic Party. But it's actually being sponsored by a Republican senator. Um, my guess is he, you know, was approached by some rich Hampton socialite and they got pissed off. So what, let me back up. What's going on in Long Island right now in Eastern Long Island is ever since COVID hit, all these people had these second homes out on Eastern Long Island, summer homes or whatever. So they never were exposed to hunting. They never saw it because it goes on in November and, you know, October, November, when people aren't really there. Um, well, COVID hit and all these people left the city to flee the city so they can have a, a freer life and, you know, not have to wear masks to go take a poop. So, you know, they, they move out to Long Island and now they're seeing hunters that are hunting in the land behind their houses and, and so on and so forth. And they got their panties in a bunch about it. So they're, they're really kind of like trying to get a lot of this stuff pushed through. Um, so my guess is that Republican Senator that is sponsoring the, um, the uh, 500 foot ordinance one is kind of getting either pressure from one of the Richie Riches out there or, um, you know, something along those lines. And he's not realizing the implications of that. So uh, the other one is definitely a um, anti hunting. Um, what do you call it? Uh, anti hunting group behind it some, of some sort because it's very specific to that. Now, it's hard. Most, most of these uh, things you're working on are they state level laws, federal level, or, or is it both? So uh, we haven't really gotten involved in any of the federal stuff yet. There is a couple bills that we've been looking at. They're a little harder to get. Um, they're a little harder to get anything actionable on them because there's not a, when you're talking about federal law, it's voted on by, let's say the whole house or the whole Congress. So your decision makers are not as, uh, evident as it is at a state level where you're dealing with a committee, you know, or you're dealing with the fish and game commission, or you're dealing with, um, you know, just the senators of that state or just the congressmen of that state. Um, so yes, we have the ability to deal with the federal stuff, but we haven't found one where we know we could be effective at yet. Um, there's a, a deal going on in Delaware right now, the Delaware, Delaware uh, water gap where they want to turn that into a national park. And that would eliminate a lot of the hunting that is there. And that is, I don't know how many thousands acre, 40,000, 40,000 acres or something that is open to hunting right now and, and fishing. And it would like cut that down by a lot. And I don't have the numbers in front of me to tell you, you know, to be accurate and tell you what they are right now, but that's one that we've been, dealing with a lot of the people that who are right there because it's Delaware water gap goes from Pennsylvania and it goes through New Jersey and both there's, you know, stakeholders on both sides. And, um, we still haven't got all the ducks in a row to find out how to, um, to battle that. But Sierra club is the one that's pushing that agenda because they know it would limit a shit ton of hunting. So how do you, how do you get involved with this? Is it, is it 
somebody that supports Howl for Wildlife that comes to you? Or are you guys searching this out? Uh, both. Both. Yeah, we have a lot of people that uh, we have have been developing liaisons in every state so that they're kind of like, you know, siren blowers, I guess, you know, as soon as something comes yeah. up, they, they come to us and then we, we you know, we try to get involved if, if we can't. Uh, sometimes, you know, you just can't. Um, but yes, that and there's a lot of us searching for it too. We're, we're constantly monitoring and looking and seeing where, where the fires are at so we can send the firemen, you know? Yeah. Um, but from a user standpoint, uh, somebody who wants to get involved in, and this can be, it could be anybody, any, anybody who's in the United States, whether you hunt or fish or whatever, if you want to get involved, you can get involved. And we've set it up where you don't have to be a paid member. You don't have to donate. You don't have to, you could be just a free membership, sign up for a free membership because you're, you, you feel like you want to get involved in some of these issues. Um, one of our mission statements, one of our, uh, the, main premise behind our mission actually is we're trying to promote unity amongst all hunters you know we have this division we have this um all these little niches within hunting and 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 fishing too um but more so in hunting like you have the rifle hunters you have the bow hunters you got the trad guys you got the elk hunters you got the deer hunters and the bear hunters and the lion hunters. like everybody's got their own little thick thing you know the wing shooters the you know waterfowlers and you have this you have this thing where like why does a guy in new york who hunts whitetail with a bow give a crap about a guy in arizona who hunts mountain lions with with hounds and and guns you know it doesn't it seemingly doesn't affect them but we're trying to get this point across this uh, message across that it, it does matter. It does affect you. And we're all in this together. You know, the other side has no problem locking arms with each other and, and fighting us on things that are important to us. And they don't care. Like, so the, you know, save the whale guys will lock arms with the save the seal guys. And, you know, there's, there's, they have big packs like where they're multi like Husis and PETA and, you know, Sierra club and CBD and all these, they put money into a one pool so that if there's something that comes up um, is a good example, actually. So in Colorado, we defeated a bill that would, um, would, knock out uh lion hunting bear hunting bobcat hunting and lynx which didn't make sense why it was on there because lynx you can't hunt lynx but this was on this bill and we got it knocked out but now we just got word that they might backdoor it somehow and get it on the um on the bill on the ballot box for uh november and if they do that and then Houston is going to Houston is going to be the main driver behind it, but they're going to involve this pact and they're going to take the money and they're going to pump a bunch of propaganda into Denver and Boulder, where there's a lot of potential sympathetic voters for them. And Colorado's going to lose lion hunting and bear hunting because of that. Yeah. And we don't have something 
in place to battle that. We have all this money. We give all this money to, you know, and I'm not picking on these organizations, but they're just well-known like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Mule Deer Foundation, and, you know, um, all the other ones, waterfowl stuff. And we don't have a pact between all of them that's putting money aside to combat those things. So it's one of our things is that we're trying to unify us on a grassroots, you know, level and unify us in a, in a big way. And we've been doing that. We've, we've sent out over a hundred, uh, 800, excuse me, 800,000 actionable items since January 11th, when we launched. That's huge. Wow. Yeah. It's, huge. And have- it's kind of the, the, the old adage of you give an inch and they'll take a mile, mm-hmm. right? You start out with something small and it builds into something bigger not only, but I think the thing is, and I think kind of the point that you're trying to make is it, it's not only that way within the state itself, but you have one state that does something, mm-hmm. then you have another state that's going to think about doing the same thing. And then you got two more states that are saying, hey, those guys did it. We can do it too. Right. And it just kind of spirals up that way. Right. So, you know, yeah. trying to get in front of it, I, I think is a, is a great thing. And, um, you know, unity within the hunting industry um, I mean, that definitely aligns with, you know, what we always preach on our side, right? I mean, it's, it's at the end of the day, every, it, it's about conservation, it's about enjoying the outdoors and all of that, and, and all of that stuff, the lifestyle and, and everything that comes with it. Um, but it is kind of weird, the dynamic within the hunting industry about the different divisions that you have, and, and you have inner, inner, I'll call it inner sport divisions, where it's not oh, just hunters... It's not just archers versus gunners. It's mm-hmm. crossbowers versus traditional bow hunters, yep. right? And compound pole versus crossbow and all of that other stuff that goes in it. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the whole, the whole, um, what was it? The, uh, the air bow when, yeah. when that first came out, right. That made waves. I right. think that for the first time was the first time that I heard people across many, many different States having a conversation about right. it. Right. And, uh, yeah, we don't we don't have that one place where multiple people across multiple states can really go and and support each other in that. And I think people think about it as more of a state or a local issue, but it doesn't end up being that in the long run, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. Besides, so go ahead. Sorry. Besides your group, are there any other groups like How for Wildlife that you've hooked up with? None at all. None at all. Yeah, there's nobody doing what we're doing. Wow, this is a good idea you guys had. Yeah, we saw our need and we filled it. Just like any other great idea, yeah, there's a there's a problem that needs to be solved, and we figured out how to how to solve that problem. You, um, so, you get to hunt anymore? Uh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it sounds like you're I, pretty busy. <laughs> I always tell Charles, I'm like, uh, Charles is the president. Um, I'm like, dude, let's not forget about why we get into this, right? Yeah. We got it to say what we (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we actually, we just spent, yesterday, we spent a couple hours trying to do some tag planning, um, which, you know, it's it's a a season in itself. But, um, yeah, no, I have have several, several punts planned for the year, and I'm an outfitter also. So, I'll be, you know, guiding guys. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, have you seen, do you see any major trends going on right now? 
Uh, yeah, actually. So, I mean, I've, I've been paying attention to this stuff for like the last five years, but this year specifically, it's seemingly to been a coordinated attack and it's, it's like happening. It's like the same thing. It's almost, it's almost cookie cutter in a way happening across the United States. And I think, uh, again, not to make it political, but I think the anti-hunting groups are taking advantage of the political climate of the country right now and really, um, you know, trying to insert their beliefs where they can. Yeah. And, uh, and polarizing the issues. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I've always been curious about, you know, when, when things go down and, and it's happened in Michigan, but when things go down the way that like a hunter wouldn't think like, why are we doing this? Do, do you do you get support from like the Department of National Resources? And I, I don't necessarily mean like them officially, but like the the rangers and, and the employees of, of the natural resources departments, you know, they have to enforce whatever happens, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever bills are passed, that's their job. And I get that. But they have a lot of data behind them, a lot of math, a lot of statistics. Yeah. Do you see that they side more with the hunting community or because that you, you do hear a lot of like how people are like, Oh no, DNR is against us. You know, that, that kind of stuff. And I don't necessarily see that all the time, but you do hear that. But what are your kind of thoughts around that? So we we've um, we've received a lot of great information uh, when trying to come up with the scientific data to support the argument for hunting uh, from your fish and wildlife agencies. Um, we have come across the, like right now in Washington, we're dealing with a commission that has a couple of bad eggs in it. And um, they were definitely planted there. Um, so most of the commissions out here in the West, especially, I don't, I don't think so much back East. Um, and I really don't know in the Midwest because we haven't seen a whole lot coming out of the Midwest this year, but um, for sure in the Western States, it's a governor appointed position. So depending on who the governor is, you know, it's very, very iffy of what you're going to get. So right now in Washington, there's two people sitting on the commission that are clearly anti-hunting and should have no business dealing with wildlife management and they're they lost spring bear hunting for two years um because of some loophole or whatever they don't want to get into right now but um and so now they're fighting to get it back and we had uh, a big there was like a big round table meeting about it we had i don't know how many hunters show up for it the fish and game commission or excuse me the fish and game uh department their bear biologists basically flat out told them and gave them all the evidence that bear hunting is very sustainable and actually needs to be done um and they ignored it yeah they like they got all this like you know great information that supported all the science science you had all these uh people show up they were, they were, uh, I think sent, I don't know, maybe 120,000 letters 
um, supporting bear hunting, and they still voted to not against it, but voted to uh, they needed more time and they wanted to evaluate it more. And like, what, like, what more do you need? Like, it's 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 plain interface, exactly. So, um, yeah, it's it's obviously it doesn't happen often because for the most part, like. We just had a thing in California and you would think California, okay, because California's always got a targets on it, target on its back when it comes to political stuff. Um, that Fish and Game Commission, man, I wanted to go over there and hug every one of them. Um, they were, they absolutely crushed Husis was there with their representative. And you could tell that she felt small when she got off the podium because the, the fish and game commission is like, well, your, your argument makes no sense, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And we were so, we were like all cheering. That's inside, awesome. You know, but there was, it was excellent. So, and the same thing happened here in Arizona when they went out, it was, it was this crazy thing. Like it was like lions, bears, and, you know, uh, and tigers. Oh my. But uh, it was every state we were seeing it at. And when it happened here in Arizona too, our fish and game commission basically shut them all down. It was it was excellent. No, that's awesome. I, you know, we, we have kind of like that Washington scenario, I think is what, you know, we hear a lot here in Michigan. It's an appointed position by, by the governor. Okay. And uh, you know, similarly, it's like, you know, okay. Saw who got appointed. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, baiting got taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, and then, and then they try to backfill on the decision because that was right around the time CWD came out, right? And, and everybody's freaking out about CWD. Um, but there's no data behind it. There's no, you know, there's no science at that point behind any of that stuff. And, and you know, everybody just kind of sees it as, as one of two things. It's either a knee-jerk reaction where it's like, we don't know what it is. So we're just going to, you know, pull the rug out from everything. Right. Or it, it's that, you know, well, look who appointed them. And, you know, that's kind of what we see, you know, you, you can't yeah. be surprised by that. It'll, it'll change when, when the politic landscape changes, which, which I think is, is the saddest thing, to be honest right. with you. I mean, that, that industry. So I was a biology major in college and uh, there's just so much data that you can get nowadays and that you can glean and you can make solid scientific decisions around and you can still debate that right i mean numbers are numbers and you can you know you can read numbers different ways and i I get that part of it but it just seems like it it has become a like you said it's it's becoming much more politicized Mm -hmm. nowadays than than what i've ever seen before so and and, you know i didn't pay attention when i was younger because like you said what happens in New York doesn't affect me. Right. But then you get older and you start to realize, well, it might not now, but four or five years from now, it absolutely might. So, I mean, it, it's, I, I'd say all that really is that, you know, this is a very needed thing. And you guys realize that recognize that and have launched this platform to, to really try to accomplish some important things and in uh, really important things from a standpoint of um, conservation right? That, that's the whole thing is it's, you know, hunting is about conservation. I think hunters would agree not to hunt if it wasn't sustainable, right? Exactly. They want that resource to be around for them and for the next generation. I don't know of any hunter, well, other than the ones that you see going to jail because they're poaching, let's eliminate them, right? Yeah, well, those um, aren't hunters. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
I, I, I don't see any hunter that's out there saying, well, no, I just want it now for me. You know, that this is the one thing that we actually think down the road about instead of like the me, me, me now mentality. Right. And uh, you know, it, it's, I, you got some great opportunities, you know, looking through your website, um, really good information out there. And, and, and it is really simple, very simple. Um, yeah. It takes so, yeah. Like 30 seconds for you to get involved on a bill. Like there's, I don't know, 10 of them that on there, you could probably do all 10 of them for, you know, in less than five minutes. Yeah. Now, that, now do I have to be a New York resident No. to take action for a New York bill? No, I was hoping you were going to ask me that. So because the United States and we are allowed to go hunt in any state we want to, right? You know, you have to get a non-resident tag and pay a right. different fee or whatever. But because you hunt everywhere, you have a say everywhere. Oh. And your dollars are when you, when you spend money in Michigan, that money doesn't just necessarily go to Michigan. It goes across the United States. It goes into a big pool and it's divvied up um, by percentage based on the amount of hunters that you have in the state. So, you know, if you go buy a bunch of sporting equipment and that excise tax is, tax is collected, it goes to a federal fund and that federal fund is distributed, distributed out to the fish and game agencies based on a percentage of of um the stakeholders you know basically so that's really good you know because i'll be honest like even looking at your page i'm like you know i don't know i i can click here but is it going to matter if it's a california bill if, if i click it and you know my address is in michigan so um thank you for that i think that's really important for people to know that that it doesn't matter where you're at it's about the broader picture and uh doesn't matter what state you're in, you can help help support and and lend a uh, lend a voice, if you will. Exactly, that's and it doesn't take much. Go ahead, sorry, Kevin. Yeah, not to change the subject, but um, I don't know if you saw there was just I just caught a blurb of this on the news. Mm -hmm. You were, were talking about Washington. Some nine-year-old girl got attacked by a mountain lion. Absolutely. Morning. Yeah. Now I don't know the particulars of it, but. So yeah they're having a you know, real you're talking about there. eliminating hunting on all these animals and from what i understand it was in an area that they don't usually have mountain lions right and probably you know maybe because of lack of pressure or whatever these things are moving wherever they want to move now yeah uh there is a lot of problems going on in Really, the whole Pacific Northwest with mountain lions, um, it's a lot more controlled in Oregon because it's the only state that still allows hound hunting for lions. Uh, California doesn't even allow hunting, period, for lions, and they got a crap ton of problems with lions there. Washington eliminated uh, hound hunting several years ago, and now they're starting to see a lot more mountain lion human interaction. And there is a bill actually on our action center right now for the Blue Mountain uh, elk herd was the biggest elk herd in the United States, largest population. It is no longer. They're doing a study over there because they couldn't figure out what's going on. They collared a bunch of elk and I don't remember the exact number, so don't quote me, but let's say they collared a hundred, I think it was like a hundred and 
197 or maybe it was 97, 97. Let's say it's 97 because it was very 97 calves. They collared 77 of those calves are dead and more than 75% of those were killed by lions. The others, there was only like one or two deaths from vehicle action. And the others were from bears and uh, coyotes. That's uh, a yeah. population statistics right there. Right. Yeah. So, so those ranchers would need to step up and push what they need. You know, <laughs> it's a lot of money. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been kind of quiet on this subject because I, I to be those frank are, with sorry. you guys, those are elk calves, by the way. Oh, okay. Uh, to be, you know, honest with you guys, the, the politics part of it really bothers me. Like when it comes to hunting, I, I just, I, a good example of this, a good example, I guess, would be I was doing a TikTok live. I don't know, it might have been a couple, about a month ago or something. And we were talking about archery bows, and some guy came on the chat and he said, Biden or Trump. And I didn't reply, I didn't say anything. And then he said, Biden or Trump. He kept saying it like in the chat. So finally, I said, Listen, dude, I said this live. I said, Listen, dude, I'm not answering this question. Mm-hmm. I'm not answering it. Not that I don't have an opinion on it, but I'm not answering it because people don't come here to talk politics. They come here to think about archery as a fun sport. It doesn't matter who you are left, right. It doesn't matter. Archery is a beautiful thing and we're not going to cloud that with politics. So it, it really bothers me when our laws and regulations for hunting get, you know, sucked into politics. And I say this in Michigan specifically because when we have a democratic governor, we have a no baiting law and then we get a Republican one and then we can bait. And then we, then as soon as the Republican one's gone, a Democrat comes back and we can't bait again. I mean, it's so stupid. It's like back and forth, the same dumb crap over and over. It's like, dude, like, obviously there's no issue or, you know what I mean? Like they just like love to make all these issues. But the one that caught my attention most was the New Jersey, you know, ban instantly on the double barrel uh, Excalibur crossbow, the twin strike. And this one struck me a nerve to me because I thought it's so unresponsible of these people to ban something without really knowing what's going to happen. It's like the instant ban. As soon as something comes out, they ban it. Like literally within the year, they ban this bow and they don't know what's going to happen. So it's like, why not just sit there and just let it ride and see what happens. But no, that's not what they did. (laughs) Yeah. Collect some data, use a test population of people that are buying it. You know, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of ways to do it. Like they can say, okay, you can use it, but if you use it, you're required to let us know how many animals you shot and that kind of thing in states where you don't have to register it. So they can get good statistics and make good decisions, but you're right, Dave, they, they just, they, that's what, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier. It's kind of like this all or nothing thing, right? Like it's like, they have, they have no rationale. It's just a knee jerk reaction of, oh, I don't know what it is. Not even logical. It's so dumb that it bothers me so much. I, I, oh, sorry. I get just, it. No, I, we, so... we have these conversations between you and I all the time, but you know, we, we've, we've talked about this a lot on our podcast and it's super frustrating, man. It really I, is. And, and I, and I think, you know, that, that goes to show you the importance of what John's doing, you know, with Howl for wildlife, you know, I, I, I bet if we had this going on last year, we probably could have called John and be like, Hey, you know, John, what's your thoughts <laughs> yeah. on this? You know, can we get some, I don't even live in New Jersey. Honestly, so I want to clarify, I want to clarify something for you guys, because 
on an issue like this, this is something that Howell will not get involved in. Okay. Because this is a people issue. This is a people problem. This is not a management issue. This is not a, something that you can solve by looking at the data and the science. That's correct. We had the same, we had the same problem here in Arizona. We just lost uh, trail cameras. Yep. You can't yeah, use trail cameras. I forgot about that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah what? Well. <laughs> All right. The whole country uses freaking trail cameras, but here and in Utah now too. Utah. So we lost it and they lost it right after us, like yeah. within, within months. So the problem is that you have too many hunters that are against that crossbow or against an air bow. There's too many. Yes. I agree. Too much division within. It's not just yep. two sided. Now yeah. it's not just the anti hunters. And, no, you're and right. The that, that's that whole it's, inner sport. It does. So it but, sure does. You're right about that, John. Yeah. You're all, talking about something happy. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about hunting. Story, let's talk, sure. What do you want to hear? Tell us something about some elk. I saw you had elk. You've been an elk hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's see. One of my, uh, what's one of my, oh, so let's talk about last year's elk hunt. So um, Charles and I, and a buddy of mine from South Dakota who came to film our hunt. Uh, we got uh, tags in uh, Idaho and uh you know, it was uh, it was a unit that I hadn't been to. Charles had been there a couple of times. Um, I knew there was a lot of elk there. I knew there was, uh, you know, a, a good chance that we'd have opportunity. And we got there. Um, first two days were, you know, just crazy whiteout blizzard and just cold and windy and shitty but uh man we were in elk we were in elk the whole time like it was just it was absolutely amazing um and i end up shooting my elk on the third on the third day um unfortunately charles never got one we end up hunting you know another four or five days past that but that morning i got up in the morning and uh we had a we had a cabin actually that we were staying at a friend of ours down there and, or I should say up there. Um, I, I walked out early, like three 30 in the morning. And I, and I, we were just, we're sitting at the mouth of this giant Canyon and it was super cold and crisp and there was no, no wind. And I, so I, I let out a little, like little moan and off in the distance, I heard a chuckle back and I'm like, okay. So I hit him with another, another bugle at this point or not another bugle with a bugle and he, he fired up and I was like, Oh, he's, he's actually not as far as I thought he must've been facing the other way. He's up this Ridge. And it sounded like he was coming from the saddle. It was probably about a thousand foot climb above us. Um, so I went and got the guys and I'm like, all right, but dude, they're, they're not far. They're right. Like, you know, within a mile. And they're up on this ridge and then saddle. So, you know, we took off in the dark, hustled up this mountainside. And it was just starting to get light. And we were probably like 400 yards from them. And he was just fired up. We didn't have, I didn't, I didn't say a word. I didn't make a peep after that. Cause once I got him going, there was like another little satellite bull kind of just like talking back and forth with him. And he must've had a big harem because 
I could, I could tell just by his bugle was moving around a lot. He must've been like doing circles to round up cows and stuff. Maybe he wanted to get out of there for the light. I don't know. But the plan was I wanted to get in there super tight, you know, within a hundred yards and, um, and then basically hit him with the roundup bugle, which is a bugle that is used to talk to, or you might've heard it called the bull calling cows bugle where, you're bugling to the cows. You're not talking to the, you're not talking to the, uh, to the guy you're talking to the ladies. Right. And what that does is, um, initiates a, uh, a fight, you know, a fight in the, in the other, in the other elk. Right. So the bull will usually come over to challenge you at that point. And, um, so we were, you know, that the plan was that, but, I don't know what exactly what happened. We just, I think we were going a little too slow. It, Charles and I, Charles and I are like yin and yang. I'm very go, 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 go. He's very like super. His, his, his nickname is shadow trekker. You know, that was like his, his, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, outfitter service is called shadow trekker adventures. So he's very slow, very like methodical. And, and I'm like, you know, bull in a China shop charging kind of guy especially when it comes to elk hunting um so we were kind of playing it safe and we should have charged in there while we still had the 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 darkness in our favor by the time they got there they were that they were out of this saddle and they had crossed over so we spent like the next hour kind of like following them and you know elk move a lot faster than we do and with a lot more ease anyway so we get to this like intersection where it's like a big alpine bowl with you know one saddle and two intersecting ridge lines it's like really just a cool little spot and we get there and i can hear that the bull we're chasing went through the saddle that was off to our right but we got to the corner and there was a bull bugling down to our left and Charles is like, I'm pretty sure there's a spring down there and he's probably at that spring. So the way he was bugling, he was uh, bugling with uh, like an advertisement bugle, which was basically telling me that he was by himself. He didn't have cows. I'm like, all right, well, this is probably an easier guy to go for. You know, this, this is better than the herd bull that we're after. Um, so we cut along on this, like, was like a it was an elk trail and it was kind of side hilling and it kind of took us right to the direction where he was at and there was two lines of trails and charles and dan um were were behind me and again like i said charles moves not because he can't move fast he actually runs like marathons and stuff we can outrun me any day but he was moving a little bit slower and they took the top they took the top trail and I took the bottom trail. So when we came out around this bowl and came out to the other side, I was in front of them probably about 40, 50 yards. And I can hear this bowl just advertising, advertisement. And we were walking. It was kind of like gravelly almost. It was kind of loud and crunchy. I'm like, he's going to be able to hear us coming. So I just made a little cow chirp to make him think that it was just cows walking up there. And the next bugle I heard him was closer. I'm like, oh shit, he's coming, right? So 
I kind of like hustled up ahead and I let out another cow chirp and I got down on my knees and I had my pack on and everything still because he's coming. Like, I know he's going to be on me in like any second. I draw back and he comes around this, this like corner and I had like pre-ranged things real quick before when I first knelt down and there really wasn't much in the way of, um, of landmarks for me to remember what the yardages were, but I, th- I felt like I had it in my hand. I, I do a lot of bow hunting for coyotes. So I'm, I'm very used to kind of like picking, picking my spots and so on and so forth. Um, anyway, so I drew back and he came around and I was like, Oh shit. I'm like in my head, I'm like, he's at, Oh, he's, he's 25 yards, but he was actually almost, almost 30. It was like 29 or 28, something like that. And, um, he was quartering to me and I, I was like, man, I could tell because he was staring right at me. I'm like, he might, he's going to bolt, right? I better take this shot. I'm going to take this, you know, I'm, I feel confident, close enough, have the right equipment, have, you know, I'm shooting a heavy enough arrow, single, single bevel broadhead. And so I shot him, got him right where I was aiming. He takes off, runs back down to that spring, lays down and uh you know expired and I, I had gotten that elk and i was super happy about it. it wasn't too bad of a pack out we weren't terribly far from the cabin at that point probably like two miles um yeah and then the whole rest of the trip man we had so many encounters it was just encounter after encounter after encounter all right thanks everybody for joining the Bowhunter planet podcast john i can't thank you enough for being here on the show tonight with us um, website for everybody that, that hadn't heard it before is howlforwildlife.org. You know, get on there, take a look at the issues going on and get involved. You know, we, we talked about the fact that you don't, it, you don't need to be from the state in order to, to lend your voice to the, uh, to the action items that they have called out on their website. So take a look at it, John, again, thank you so much for thanks, joining John. us. We'll have to have you back on. Thank you. Thanks again. Thanks, John. Awesome, man. Thanks. We'll Bye. see you. Bye-bye. Bye. As usual, thank you guys so much for tuning into the Bowhunter Planet podcast. Your support is so appreciated. If you love archery and bow hunting, make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media as we have a lot more great content to share. We'll see you soon. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.